Welcome to another episode of the Writing Expensive Words podcast, also hosted on Literary Symmetry's IGTV channel live when recorded. On this show, we take a relational approach to turning readers into fans by using expensive words based on our emotions to write compelling stories. This way, instead of finding customers who read, we find friends and fans who will go on any storytelling path with us as we walk down the winding roads that make up our author journeys. Get ready to learn more about writing the story of your heart right now on Writing Expensive Words. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Writing Expensive Words podcast. Today, as you can see, if you're watching, I am joined by a guest. Uh, This is my husband, Travis Spencer, and he thought he would come on because today we're talking about something that both of us are passionate about. We love to cook. We're talking about food and fiction. Yummy. That's going to happen a lot. I'm sorry in advance. I don't uh, apologize. Don't you, <laughs> don't you laugh shame me. <laughs> so um, today we're going to talk not just about why food matters in fiction, but we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments and how you can use expensive words and food memories to connect with your readers because eating is a universal experience and that's what you're always, you can always use universal experiences to connect with your readers. It's like slow putting his legs up. So this is Travis's first ever podcast episode, right? It's true. I have been um, a producer. <laughs> of other audiobooks and audio episodes. Um, but I'm on hold and hiatus for now. So I've come out of retirement <laughs> just to have some fun. All right. So um, why don't we get started with... Okay, so we... Let's eat... try... Let, let, let me... Okay, so this is her This is her show. I'm not going to take the reins. <laughs> Liar. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I will not do that. So, uh, but like, it, so we're going to talk about fictional meals, right? We're going to talk about fictional meals. Or food in fiction. So I kind of posed to her last night uh, a challenge to be like, hey, um, let's think of five fictional meals um, that we, um, that kind of stuck in our memory or uh, were something that we would really like to try ourselves. Um, yeah. And that, that sort of thing. Yeah, and at first I was like, well, I could talk about why it's important to include eating and cooking in books, but I had a really hard time thinking about, like, the things I would want to eat, and I actually only thought of three things I would want to eat, and the other things that I thought of are food moments, because I was like, this thing I don't want to eat, but I remember it so vividly, so... Uh, Travis, why don't you, as our first guest... <laughs> hold on, hold on. That's a bold strategy, call. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to be good, because uh, okay. liter- literary people are going to appreciate my choices. And then people like me, who don't read as often as uh, people like Kristen or many, most of the world... <laughs> um, I do read a lot. ...can still have some fun. Yes. So um, we don't know what each other picked, just so you understand that. So we're going to be reacting real time as we hear each other's uh, top five picks. And I also have a trivia question, which if you listen to the end of this part of the show, I'm going to give away a free set because Literary Symmetry is the sponsor of the show. I'm going to give away a free set of the Write This Way book and workbook to the person who can answer my trivia question correctly, 
first via email. What happens if I answer it? You won't be able to. I already know. I don't know. Oh, right. You won't be able to, for sure. Okay. So I get to go first? So you get to go first. Okay. In no particular order, um, my first food moment, food, in this particular case, it'd be something that I'd really like to try. Okay. I don't think Bobish could do a version of this on his uh, fun YouTube uh, videos, but... Which you love, right? That's I, what I gave you... Yeah, that's what gave me the idea yeah. for this, so uh, trademark. So uh, if you want to watch Binging with Bobish, it's fun because he turns yeah. fictional food into real food, and now we're talking about fictional food yeah. because he uses storytelling in his mm -hmm. videos, which is fun. So the fir my first... My, I'm like hiding I'm not, my list. I'm not, I'm I can't see that far. I'm okay. too blind. My first imaginary uh, meal, okay. fictional meal, is from 1991. 1991. Okay. It's a film, though, so I'm oh, technically, but it's based already. off. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's based off of characters from J. M. Barry. Do you know who that is? No. No. I am referring to, of course, the 1991 film with Robin Williams called Hook. Oh, hook! And my favorite moment. Oh, in this that is yeah. Is the uh, is the scene where uh, the uh, the, lost the lost boys, boys. Uh -huh. are having an imaginary. They they sit down to eat, and and Robin uh, Robin Williams' character, you know, who is like an older Peter Pan who has lost his innocence, so to speak. He there's nothing in his bowl, so yes, he uses imagination. And I just thought, even as like an older kid, when I first saw that. I just thought that was so fun. I mean, it looks amazing, right? And then as you get to be older, you kind of look at it and you're like, I feel like that's shaving cream that's dyed different colors. Yeah, it probably was. It's pro but, it probably but wasn't I mean, very tasty. It was very colorful. It was and very so, colorful. Like, with that, it kind of, for me, um, with my limited understanding of food at the time, I yeah. kind of thought, oh, this maybe has some like Asian influences, you know, maybe perhaps some Indian um, like curries and like the very colorful right, flavors you, of spices and and you have like and Rufio like who yeah. is the leader of the Lost Boys who was actually like one of the first uh you know Asian characters I can think of that I saw that I really felt a connection with because when we were growing up just like everybody was white all the time pretty much in films so I yeah, that was like a really nice moment. He's a really great character. If you haven't watched Hook, yeah, and don't you, spoil anything. You don't know who Rufio is. You should go watch it because it's yeah. Great. But of course, it falls under Peter Pan, which is I think in common uh, use right now, it's, right? It's, it's almost. It's almost. It's, but how did all those movies? So they do variations of it, oh, but okay. um, it's coming into common use. I think in the next like two years. Oh, there you go. We'll and we're going to see like an explosion. <laughs> I'm right? predicting, I am predicting zombie vampire versions of, of Peter, Peter Pan. Pan. I can see it. That's where it's going. I mean, okay. I don't think that's so a good you, idea. You, now your turn. Okay, so um, mine was like the most obvious one that I thought of and it is uh, like, it's a book but also it's a cartoon and I was thinking of the cartoon. Um, I picked Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne from 1926, so it's an oldie but goodie. A lot of mine are old, actually. Um, but I just remember thinking, like, how is it that Winnie the Pooh can eat the honey off of his paw and, like, one, like, and he's not mm. even sticky after? Because I feel like as a kid, you're sticky a lot of the oh, time. Man. If you just look at honey, you get like you there. Right, like and sticky. even the bottle's like always sticky, no matter oh, how it's impossible. I I clean it with warm water every time that we use it or the kids use it, mm -hmm. and it's still sticky. No. 
So it, even if you have the squirt honey, which is really technically almost not honey, you know, because if it can go through well, a yeah. squeeze bottle and it's, but then you're sitting there like, yeah. It's hard to get out. of, But I just thought, like, oh, my gosh, that's honey you can eat, and I it doesn't know. stick all over. And to me, that was, like, a miraculous sort of thing that I... And, like, that's one of the things... That's one of Pooh's main motivations is to eat, <laughs> which I think we can all relate to, if honey. we're being honest. I know. It, remember, we uh, we were in the... Um, where were, oh, uh, we were in England, uh, London, and uh, we saw... Actual the actual stuffed bear that Winnie the Pooh was based off of. Yes, which it's is, in the British Library. Which is little known fact about well maybe more known I don't know some of you people may not know, um, but the uh, Winnie, the character Winnie the Pooh was based off of an actual bear in Winnipeg, Canada. Remember? Oh yeah, that's yeah. why he's named that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you want to see the well, I don't know if it's there anymore. Yeah, but, yeah, but I'm sure you could pull up a. It was a picture there. Of he it. was there. It was it was pretty neat. Pretty neat. Okay, so it's my turn next. Okay, it's your turn. All right, here we go. Number two, I have a 1968 novel. I have some 1960 stuff, too. By Philip K. Dick. Okay. Yeah, you know where I'm going with I this. know where you're going, yeah. Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Do, do a, Android's. Do Android's Dream of Electric it's Sheep. It's a question mark It's title. a question mark. Um, and I'm specifically, since I, again, am falling back into movies, <laughs> but, I mean, technically I'm reading since it's an adaptation of a book, so, it's, I mean, but it, it's a beautiful adaptation by Ridley Scott. It is. Um, it is. There's quite a bit that's different, yeah. though, and in I the mean, novel. We, you can go in the 1980 version, but I'm specifically referencing the uh, sequel, which is Blade Runner 2049. Okay. Um, because it has a little bit more of a personal um, experience for us, because remember in 2016, yes. we went to the San Diego Comic-Con, um, and they had a Blade Runner experience, Blade Runner they 2049. Did, where you could go, and it was like made out of the same stuff that yeah. all the sets were made out it's, of. You were walking right into this thing, and it was you were in the noodle bar, a noodle bar. Yes. And so that's... Kind of where I was going with that. I would love to eat some food in that noodle bar-like setting, you know? Right. Of, like, futuristic... But without all the people trying to hunt and kill you, probably. of course. Probably not that part. Yeah. No, we don't want that. Okay. So, now... Yeah, that's a good one. I love that one. All right. So, my next one is not, like I said, it's not eating related. But I had to, like, I have to bring this up. Mm -hmm. Um... You all know, because you listen to the show all the time, that I have a degree in comparative world literature, so I had to read a bunch of really sophisticated books. If you can't, you can't, who's in the, whoever's not watching, I just use air quotes. Scare quotes. Scare quotes. She used scare quotes. I, I mean, literally, I used air quotes in She film, literally... But I, they're also scare quotes. <laughs> they're bull. Um, so I wanted to talk about... The Onion Bar from the Tin Drum, which was written by Gunter Grass in 1959. Hmm. And so the whole point of this uh, was, like, they're not, they're at the bar and everybody's getting plates of onions. And the character's like, what's going to happen? Are we going to eat these? This doesn't sound, like, that great. Although he was kind of um, starving from not really having a ton of food. So he probably was excited to see the onions. Um, but what they do is they don't eat the onions. They cut them open so that they can cry because they don't have any emotion left. It's really depressing and like. So they're Hollywood actors. They're acting in that way where they're like, "I have emotion. I'm crying. See, but it's because of the onions, not because Oof. of that's actual some, feelings." That's some dark stuff. That book is rough. 
I mean, there's, like, sexual abuse in that book. There's all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, don't it, – it's not for the light of heart, um, mm-hmm. nor is it for someone who's, like, I mm-hmm. want to read to be super entertained right now and not think at all. No. My third one is a 2011 series by James S.A. Corey, um, a.k.a. Daniel, Abram, and Ty Frank. Um, it's The Expanse. And specifically from there, because there are quite a few things that – You'd be interested in, but I, I think, think the thing. I think I know they, what you're going to yeah, say. The, well, you don't know which one I'm going to say. I think I do know. Okay. All right. Let's take a guess. What do you think I'm? Which one do you think I'm going to say? I think you're going to talk about Naomi's red kibble. Oh dang you! Yeah, right. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a toss-up though, because white kibble apparently is like kind of like I guess a version of macaroni and cheese. It mm-hmm. has some cheese notes in it. Yeah, that sounds. But good. I definitely was like, I really they talk about red kibble a lot, and which specifically is, Naomi's recipe of red. Which kibble. is yeah, that's true. So yeah, being more specific, Naomi's red kibble. I think that's true. It's a. It's a dish that is, this is set in the future. Of course, you can see a theme with all of the science fiction things. That's what I, that's my jam. But um, the, they use mushrooms as the base for a lot of things. So Because this, it's easy to grow in like a tight space yeah. without sunlight. Mm-hmm. This dish is made of deep fried, heavily spiced red bean paste balls. Oh, that sounds I know, so good. It, it kind of makes me think that it's almost like... Um, uh, you should send it to Binging with Bobbish and be like, please make this. Because uh, there's already been a Reddit. There's already a subreddit about that's trying to get him to do that for years. So. I mean, because he made the Bachelor food from Futurama, which is oh, right. similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it wouldn't be like out of his wheelhouse, yeah. but instead of <clears throat> using delicious beef, which he uses, uh-huh. which now that's making me hungry... He he could use bean paste. So. Well, I'm like I'm thinking kind of based off of the description of what that is. I'm thinking like, um, oh, goodness, what's the thing with the the what's the um, you know the hummus the um, oh falafel. Yeah, falafel. It makes me think of kind of like a falafel. Oh type yeah, of thing. because it's like a bean like, that's ground balls and fried. That are like deep fried, yeah. Okay, so that that's my third one. Yeah, that sounds so good. That's not on my list, but I thought about putting it on the list, but I thought. Travis is going to take Travis it. Travis is going to put it. I appreciate it. On there. Okay, so this next one is like an obscure reference that probably no one is going to know unless you were really into Christian fiction romance in 2007. Ooh, is this going to be Amish-based? <laughs> it is not Amish-based, <laughs> um, but it's called Miss Invisible by Laura Jensen Walker. As I said, it came out in 2007, and this is one of my favorite books ever. I must have read it like 15 times by now. Um, but it's about this character who is a baker, and her name is Freddie. Uh, she's named after her dad, who, as you find out in the book, is a jerk, so she hates her own name. It's sad. But the way that she kind of relates to the world, her love language is that she cooks things for people. That's why being a cake baker is such a good fit for her. But um, also, like, she has a roommate who's vegetarian, and she makes her all these amazing things to, like, be, like, things she wouldn't even eat herself because she's not a vegetarian. But... Like, halfway through the book, she meets this family who needs help and they're caterers, and everything they make sounds so good. So I would want to eat the special cake from the bakery that she works for initially, and then I would want to eat pretty much everything from, uh, I think it's like a touch of honey catering. It sounds so, like, it sounds amazing. Everything that's cooked in that book, and she's basically a chef. Um, is sounds like it would be amazing. An alternate title they could have gone with is Sticky Catering because anything you touch with honey means it's <laughs> sticky unless you're Winnie the Pooh. Right, we talked about that earlier. Okay, so <laughs> I have got 
one post-it down. Okay. Um, my fourth one is going to be a one that I think we all can relate to, and even this, pro- this type of thing you can even pick up in, in local stores. Okay, so, okay. Um, it is fictional, so obviously it's not literal. It's an interpretation of what it would be. So I am referring to J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, and I am referring to, because there's many things you could pull out of that. That's true. Um, I'm referring to Chocolate Frogs. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I think like, that would be pretty fun. I mean, it's like a food and a game in one, right? Because it yeah. can hop away. Like, it but hopped here, away. It escaped I'm thinking, from Harry, okay? didn't it? So, remember when we actually tried frog legs? And they're really good. Did That's, you try it? Yeah. You tried it. Yes. Um, they're really good. So I'm thinking, like, is it just literally a chocolate a frog, frog? That's chocolate, or does or it have it, frog flavor? Does it flavor? have some of those notes of like <laughs> the well, because gaminess? that that reminds is me of, of a movie <laughs> that is not a book, but it reminds me of Chocolat, which they have chicken with chocolate sauce as like their big dinner. Well, that doesn't seem too far off to me. No, I mean, but I'm saying like if that's something. good, it makes yeah. sense that a frog leg with Chocolate on it would yeah. also. So obviously taste you good. can just go pick up a chocolate frog, but it's literally just a frog that is inanimate and just choc- uh, frog shaped chocolate. Um, I don't know that that's probably what that really was because they had a lot of weird stuff. That's true, like the so earwax. I feel like it, I know exactly. No. I feel like it's not going to be what you think it would be. I mean, in, I guess that's like the exciting part about like fantasy food, which we yeah. don't. We I don't have any fantasy food on my list, sadly. Well, that that's as fantasy as I get. I okay, think. that is that's so. Fantasy. What's your what's your fourth one? Okay, my fourth one is from uh, Paralandra, which was also released under the title Voyage to Venus from C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, which was written in 1943. And Ransom goes in this weird spaceship and he lands on Venus, Paralandra, right? And he um, he finds this green fruit. That he says smells amazing, mm. and then when he eats it, like, he says it's the best thing he's ever tasted, but in a way that, like, after he took three bites, he felt satisfied, and he didn't feel like, this is so good, I need to eat more of it. Okay. So, I I mean, there's so many different reasons. So, what you're saying is it's a diet food. I mean, like, it's like the perfect food, where you're like, I love this, but also, I'm good now. Which, yeah. I... That's hard. I love that idea. Obviously, like... Um, I feel like C.S. Lewis was influenced by the Garden of Eden and the fruits that were found there when he was writing this. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I always think back to that fruit that he eats, and I'm like, because he's basically, he's like starving. He's trying to figure out how to survive on a different world, which he did in the first book, hmm. which was uh, The Red Planet. So, I, you know, it just stuck in my head as something I'd want to try. Nice. Well, my fifth one, fifth and final one. Final one. Is from the 1865 Ooh, novel. It's really old. I know. Pulling back, going way back. By, see if you can guess. What 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 do you think I'm thinking of from 1865? I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I. Come on, mind melt with me. I feel like what it's gonna be, it's gonna be an be. Alexander Dumas thing, but I don't think it's that old. Oh wow! Hey, I really uh, I really appreciate that you think so highly of me. <laughs> But you got to think like I think. You got to think, <laughs> what could, like, 
what movie is Travis referencing that was also a book? No, that is what I'm thinking because I would go like to the Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, but it is not. Oh. It is an 1865 novel. Yeah, I don't think that's a by Lewis Carroll. Oh. I am, of course, referring to Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. And there's a lot of fun stuff you can go in there. I mean, it was a toss-up for me between uh, the Tea Party, um, but honestly, um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with um, the Queen of Hearts tarts. Oh, like she has tarts. That's and true. She like loses her ever-loving mind. I was one hoping of the you weren't gonna go say the oysters, because then I was gonna be no. like. Ugh, oysters no. are disgusting. I know, but also, like, form. they're murdering Whether they be Colorado oysters really or <laughs> not oysters. sea oysters, <laughs> just disgusting. No, thanks. All right. But, yeah, so th- I, I I really like tarts, and obviously that's not too far off. Yeah, but dessert. I think, we needed some more desserts, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's going to be yummy. Okay, so my last one is not something I'd want to eat. I mean, I would want to eat it if this thing didn't happen to it. But this one is going to be from Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery, written in 1908. And it is the scene where Anne works so hard (laughs) to make her first pudding, and she's using expensive ingredients, and her teacher comes over, and they're, like, giving them, like, they eat dinner, and Marilla's like, go get the the pudding. And what, what happens? Travis knows the answer to this. There's a dead rat who climbed in to eat the pudding and drowned. And what does Anne do? Because she can't just do anything like that makes sense right away. That's never her first reaction. She takes the rat out and scoops the (laughs) pudding into the serving bowls, (laughs) takes it out to the takes it out to the dining room, and as her teacher is about to take a bite, she's like, <laughs> and then Marilla's like, good, good. Why and Shirley. What is wrong with you? Why are you screaming? Why are you making a fuss? And yeah. Marilla's first reaction is always that Anne is overreacting. Yeah. I and mean, in this case, she's so, not no, overreacting okay. because, uh, you know, if you eat something that has had a dead animal on it, you can get super sick and die. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think you really need to tell people. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> if there's a rat in your food, maybe you shouldn't eat maybe it, you shouldn't. alive or dead, Kristen. Maybe you shouldn't Are you eat kidding that. me? I don't know. Maybe. But because, like, normally, like, Anne is so hyperbolic, right? Marilla's like, uh, no. Yeah, should we believe her? Like, like she's, she's all, I'm dying. Right, because she gets her period. That's also something that happens. But I mean, you know. Right, but, um, yeah, so she wasn't overreacting, and then Marilla's like, oh my gosh, and she just takes all the pudding off the table and goes into the <laughs> kitchen, and Anna's like, ah, but, you know, there's nothing that anyone can do. You know, Anne should have covered it like Marilla told her to, but she didn't because she forgets things because she's so... Uh, she gets distracted by the romantic yeah. moments of life. Let's yeah, that's say. a pretty fun. That's a pretty fun moment, I think, um, in the literature. And that you know, food. I think food is obviously something that all humans need. Really, all all living creatures on Earth need. Yeah, true. Um, it's not just universal but for it's, humans. It is. It's it, it crosses all cultures. You know, obviously, a lot of the examples that we gave were were kind of based in um, in like uh, British or English culture. But I mean. Everybody needs to eat, and so I think it's really neat how you can can you can um, kind of build a bridge to the reader um, through through something as simple as food, you know, because right. everybody sees the same sun, everybody you know has a lot of the same emotions regarding like um, the beauty that is this world, but you know it varies from place to place. But food is like a thing that 
every every culture has something that they just well, right. like, like love. Even if you you're know. making different things, like the process is the same. Like mm-hmm. you're cutting things, you're cooking things, and then you're putting them in your mouth. Yeah. So basically, I mean, some of these, a few of these were like uh, con foods. They're constructed foods like con links. Oh, my gosh. I know. You like that word, don't you? Uh, why okay. Do, why do you, well, what? Let's go to food trivia. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to talk about language. This isn't a literary podcast. I mean, that's not what this podcast is for. Can we talk about it? Yes, but I I was just mentioning in passing. I would say, I'm not, I'm not. I I would say that if you, you have to lean more this way. I would say that if you want to listen to a great um, podcast about language, you can listen to Hidden Brain Mm because we listen to it and it's awesome. Okay, now can we do trivia? Tis your show, my lady. Okay, so this is food trivia because I don't want Travis to know what this is from. Because I'm gonna try it. I she probably okay. Okay, go. All right. So, but I'm gonna ask you a question. All right. Me? Yes. Oh, cool. And then they're gonna have to figure out the puzzle. All right. Okay. Okay. So, would you try this food that everyone says is the most amazing food ever? Mm Mm-hmm. If you knew, number one... It was made of people? It's not made of people, but it's almost as bad. That it's made of excrement, Mm -hmm. and that if you stop, if you start eating it, if you eat it one time, and then you stop eating it, you'll die. Does this go back to the rat thing? No, it has nothing to do with that. Like, what, what world... In what world? Anyone like, who unicorn? has read this book know. knows exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, this has got to be something like, I, I feel like this has got to be something out of uh, a very extremely long and thick book. You're going to give it away. I've, well, then I'm I'm on to it. I, I, see, I know. I haven't even read this book. I, I know, that, that's why I was I know that trying th- to be there's cryptic, like some weird but stuff. But you ruined it. No, they don't know which books I haven't read, which is like 99% of all books out there. So, okay. well, you guys could probably get it. Well, would you eat it is what the question is. Um. So, what the, So what does it, why would I want to eat it in the first place? Because it's the most amazing thing that anyone has ever eaten. That's what people say when oh, they describe so it. It's like, so, it's like civet coffee. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. That's what, like, when I was the writing civets this question. are like a like a marsupial that eats coffee beans that have fallen down. Right. And they process it through their digestive they tract. They poop it and out. And literally poop it out. Mm-hmm. And there are people. Who go, go around. And, go and Google this. There are people who will, who will buy these, collect they, these. And then they sell. And then they sell these. It's like some of the most expensive coffee you could ever have. But they say... That the that civet, the best like, reduces the acid. whatever, blah, 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 And you blah. can actually taste the coffee bean for how yeah, it's supposed I'm to taste. I'm fine. I'll just drink my cacao and I'll be good. <laughs> he drinks cacao, too. I don't know. You know I, I mean, I do like food. We are adventurous. And I, I've started to, I mean, I've eaten okay, sushi. Okay, but, like, what years, about so. the part where if you stop eating it, you'll die? So you got to keep on eating it. But, yeah. but, like, oh, so it's, like, one of those things where if you eat it, you get to taste the best thing ever. Right. This sounds like something, this sounds like a Greek, like, punishment Myth, in, in Hades. Yeah. Like, they're like, here, have this best thing ever. Oh, what's that? You have to eat it for the rest of your life. That is essentially what happens okay, in this book, so yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like something from a Greek. So, uh, so would I? Would you? Yeah, yes or no? Would you eat it? Well, um, I'm going to go with a hard path. No, polite path. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't give me that best thing ever because I know if I stop eating it, I'll die. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe, I, you know what I do? You know what I do? I would do it when I'm nearing death. Okay. That's what I would do. So like right before you I do it, yeah, it's like a kind of like a, a bucket list. But the ex- <laughs> Quite literally a bucket list. <laughs> You're like, on my deathbed, I'm going to try this thing. <laughs> So you don't care about the excrement part. You only care about the part that you'll die. No, look, we eat a lot of weird stuff. People eat clams and oysters, like we were talking about. It's not, it's not things. Yeah, so it's, that's weird. It's true. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind the excrement part either. But also, I don't want to die because of a food. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. gonna also pass on that. <laughs> that's that's what. I mean, I... let's be real though. Let's be real. There are humans on this earth that do really stupid and weird stuff. Like for instance. Uh, the 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 like uh, chicken sashimi that's been going around to where they're like I'll eat raw chicken. It's Please like a thing. Don't Please eat don't raw do chicken. that. Don't eat raw chicken. It's not. You'll get, it, you'll you'll get, get sick. You'll get sick and die. You can It'll die. be like this fictional book that I don't know. Kind of maybe what she's talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So listen, if you can send me the name of the book and the author and the year to KNS at literarysymmetry.com before anyone else. For me. And you live in the U.S. or Canada. I'm stipulating this. I will send you a physical copy of Right This Way and the Right This Way workbook. What happens if they're outside of Canada or the United States? I mean, the mail system is just really messed up all over because of COVID. So, like, I could send it to you, but it might not get there for a year. Okay. Well, hey, you know, Uh, something to look forward to. If you enter from uh, India or one of the other... Many amazing places that listeners Germany, from this show are from. Europe. I mean, there's a lot in like Greece, Saudi Arabia. Gre- I mean, I don't really have any Since... listeners in Greece. Actually, no. I don't. You don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I'll send you. I can send you the PDF because yeah. the I just sent Maria a package like in January, and it still hasn't gotten to her. And I sent it to her priority mail, which has never it's never taken this long. So I just know that the mail's a mess right now. But, um, yeah, because I wouldn't want to be like, here, I'm sending you this, and then it never gets to you. That would be super sad, I feel like. It would be sad. Almost as sad as dying because you can't eat any more of the excrement food. <laughs> you can't eat food. any more of the excrement food. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a, it's a <laughs> whole thing. Okay. So, the, li- <laughs> the writing expensive words part of this episode is answering this question. Should we have characters cooking and eating? Because this is really, I mean... This is something that's debated in writing almost as much as should I have my character going to the bathroom <laughs> or should I have my character sleep and wake up know. because people are like, don't write about that part. That part is assumed. But like um, when I wrote the Alone in Nashville, like Christmas short story, like the star of that short story, I feel like is the Nashville hot chicken. That's because we were hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but like I wrote it after we went there, but yeah. I ate hot chicken while I was there, which was delicious. And it's an experience. Like there's food everywhere. Like you can't. Okay, I, I you, think you can't look composed and eat hot chicken. Is what I'm if, trying to say. If I can, I think that a lot of people posture themselves in weird positions, and we'll dig ourselves into whatever we believe because we just don't want to be outside of that position. But I think. That it's silly uh, to hold a position where you should never mention food uh, because there are multiple, multiple, like very, very famous books. Yeah. Like uh, that center around a food or even have food in their title, like fried green tomatoes, just off the top of my head, 
I like, know, that's a good one. Like To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, you know. Well, that's not food I know, that's not food related, but there are food things in it. There, there are, there's yes. A, they do uh, mention food in yeah, there. There are mentioned food. Uh-oh. What are you going to do like with that? Or like Joy Luck Club, which is exposing culture through the food that they eat, right? Yeah, that's the thing is I think you can't posture yourself on a, like, never do this because it would be a shame to have a book set in, in a place, um, like, around the world to where there's a dish that is so culturally embedded into that society, like you're you're actually doing a hindrance to that book by saying I'm not going to mention food. It's like it's it's quite literally like talking about uh, like uh, um, like Moroccan food. You know, you have mm. a place set in Morocco, and everybody knows that Moroccan food is something that you eat. Like I'm Good, glad I, I'm glad I made that dono- donation to the NYC. You burn unit. That's a Sabrina reference because that's my favorite movie. But, yeah, it's just I think I think food is necessary, and I think, but I mean, again, right? And I would argue. Tell us what you think. I would argue that food is a nostalgic connection point for the reader. Oh yeah. Because how many of us have certain flavors or textures that we eat? Um, where it triggers a memory. Yeah. And so it's a really good way to introduce a memory of a character's into the book that seems natural. Like, they take a bite of, like, for me, I would say chicken and dumplings because that reminds me of my Grams mm-hmm. because she used to make that when I was growing up. It's it's still my dad's favorite thing. I still make it for him whenever I can. Um, and so, like, the texture of those noodly dumplings in there, or dumplings, as Grams would say, uh, uh, that reminds me of her and of being really small, like as small as I can remember, because mm-hmm. I didn't get to see her a lot because she lived in Missouri. And yeah. so, like, if I was writing a character and I wanted to show the reader something about their past, I can trigger that with a memory. And that's going to yeah. create an instant connection in the fact that everyone experiences memories related to food. Yeah, and I think psychology and science backs that up. I mean, it's it's obvious. So, I mean, to say that you're not going to um, bring an emotion in, which is really like you're reading something that's 2D um, and you're using right. your imagination. To how try would to make you, it feel 3D. Yeah, how would you, like, you're not going to go and, like, this isn't going to be a book where you're going to read, like, 85 pages of, like, uh, you're going to wax on about, like, the different notes right. of like, stuff. We this don't isn't a food want, and wine magazine. We don't you know? want, I mean, even they're very short with their descriptions. Yeah. We don't want um, romanticism. Like, we don't want realis- realism in literature because mm-hmm. I think that that was some, that's, I honestly think, okay. I think that's why people say don't write about food because yeah. we have these books like Madame Bovary, gross. And there's all this stuff about, like, this cup that she's drinking out of and she's mm-hmm. licking the cup and blah, 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 five pages long. And because that was, like, an experiment. It that, was, like, avant-garde at the time, right? It right. Was like, it was they were pushing res- the boundaries. It was in response to emotional romanticism, which mm-hmm. they felt, like, didn't accurately represent um, the lower echelons of society. So they're like, we're going to write about common everyday yeah. things like eating and uh, doing chores. But they, like, took it to the nth degree where they wrote so much detail that it's really, frankly, hard to read. So that's the literary realism. Mm -hmm. And I think that in response to that bad response, we now have the response that's like, hey, don't write about food at all. Yeah. Which is sad. And, and, you know, the the thing also is like uh, I was mentioning earlier about how it's directly related to culture. Um, You know, for someone who's not in, I mean, I am only one culture, maybe two. 
I mean, because we spent quite a long time in Greece, but you have that. Uh, I mean, I'm California. The, con- the culture yeah, that have, affected you. I have California well. culture. I have Pennsylvania culture now, and I have uh, Greek culture, which affected me from the outside. I wasn't right. inside that, um, but you know, the, so I mean, we our cultures. There's a fundamental culture, and then there's like an expanding of that. It like I don't. I'm not in the African American community, so I like for me, it's a really good look into that community. So it's I mean, like, but also you have to be careful with that. Like if you've read uh, "The Hate You Give" by mm-hmm. Angie Thomas, like her main character gets mad because one of the other characters, who ends up being racist, by the way, uh, makes a fried chicken joke at her. So you know, like we have to be careful about stereotypes. Well, I'm, see, too. I didn't even mention. The type I know. Of food, I but just you're assuming that. I I wasn't assuming that. I was just letting them know that. Yeah. Because it's important to think about what types of food would be considered stereotypical. Like, for me, I never tasted collard greens until I had read about them a lot through books, like you're saying. Well, like, in other mediums, because we were talking, um, you know, about literature, and inspires all other mediums of, of art, you know. Um, and, like, thinking of a, of a music uh, song by The New Respects, like... Um, sitting in the kitchen eating yellow rice, rice and chicken, chicken. Yeah. you know? That's really cool to just, like, it, it just gives me a picture as right. to what Watch, their morning looks like. Watching Saturday what, morning cartoons, yeah, it's like, like, like they're eating it in the morning. like, morning yeah. looks like uh, compared to mine. And, you know, thinking about, like, uh, Asian culture or Japanese Right, like, uh, my or, best friend growing up was Filipino, and we always had rice with breakfast, which I had never... I had yeah. never had that before. Like, yeah. they would have, like, Spam and eggs and rice. And I was like, and, okay, this is instead of toast. Like, mm-hmm. And conversely, uh, it freaks a lot of other countries out as to what Americans eat for breakfast. Yeah. They're like, what in the world are you doing? The cereal. They're like, like what they're like, are this you is know? Well, and, like, and such a heavy breakfast with, like, meats and, like, uh, the British breakfast, which is what yeah. influences American breakfast. Right, that's true. You know, is, like, sausage. You know, you got, like, poached eggs and, like... Like, you know, bread. It's like, it's all heavy stuff, but it's good, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, breakfast is definitely one of those things. And see, so you can write about what your character's eating for (laughs) breakfast because everybody disagrees about what breakfast is, and you're showing a window in, and then if you want to go further, you can use that emotional imagery that we talked about in the story boot camp series to where you take an object and you take its smell, its taste, its texture, whatever, and you attach an emotional feeling to it that can connect your reader to your character. So that's a connection point. I think food definitely has the potential to be a connection point. And uh, And connect characters to each other, too. That's true. That's that's a great point. All right. Well, thank you so much, Travis. You are welcome. For coming on. And we had so much fun today. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at kns at con... uh, Sorry, KNS at LiterarySymmetry.com and let me know what your favorite food is and also what your favorite fictional food moment is. And remember, it is never too late to write the story of your heart. Bye. This has been another episode of the Writing Expensive Words podcast with me, your host, Kristen Spencer. I'd love to hear your amazing writing thoughts and questions from your awesome writing brain. You can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer or at literary symmetry. Or you can email me at kns at literarysymmetry.com. This podcast is funded by awesome listeners like you. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it rolling, you can head over to www.patreon.com forward slash expensive words. 
You can keep all of my hosting and software needs going for the show by donating less than what it costs for one fancy cup of tea a month. And to be eligible to join writing coaching calls with me, check out the $12 a month sponsorship. You will get to ask me questions live about the story of your heart once a month and meet other cool writers. Thanks again for listening and happy writing.